Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange with one of my favorite people to speak with, Mr. Andrew Miller. I feel like we we see you and we talk to you on this pod all the time, but you have so many interesting things to say and to share with us that I thought it would be great to have you back. How are you, my friend? Doing well. I mean, I'll, I'll make sure to pay you the $10 I promised is my number 273rd hype man. That's how I, it's actually how I keep my reputation up. That means I don't, I can't afford to pay any given hype man very much. So I appreciate you're willing to, you know, willing to bargain with me this time. But always a pleasure, Rob. You know, I appreciate it. My, my wallet is a little bit light, so I will gladly accept that $10. I'm really excited to have you today. Listener, we are diving into some of the common questions that we hear from customers and from prospects when we're talking about all things ransomware. Now, you know, we've had Andrew on in the past multiple times. He's got a great narrative around his anatomy of an attack, and we've gone deep into safe mode snapshots. And I think we've even done that on Unplugged with Mr. J.D. Wallace, who we also love to have on here. But we thought today it would be really interesting to go behind the scenes, to pull up the covers, if you will, and get into some of those conversations that we have with customers where they get what we're doing. They understand the need for ransomware protection, and they kind of get the technology at its core that we're presenting to them. But what are those next level of questions? And Andrew, you've kind of culled these from uh, lots of experience with multiple, multiple engagements. So it should be really interesting to go through these. And try to. I mean, so it's always fun. So sometimes there's times where all you have is enough time to get out the bear. Just there's just the core architecture pieces, if you will. And what I prefer is when there's enough time, frankly, to get that out and then have fruitful discussion. And there's always this this fun mix because because I've been on both sides from customer to partner to, to hear of folks that are kind of playing the at home game and they're following along and being very thoughtful and they're asking great questions. And then sometimes you get really that same kind of question from someone who's like, hey, you know, I'm 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 going to try and see if I can stump the chump in the room, you know, kind of thing, if you will. And they're, right. Playing both sides, but but either way, they're fun topics to explore. And even if I feel like someone's trying to maybe be like, "Hey, can, can I see if I can catch him?" You know, you still engage constructively and you have fun with it. Because if you know it deeply enough at an architectural level, sometimes even those ones you get a little bit more of like, "Ooh, this is how someone's thinking about it." Or even even little bits of competitive nuggets pop out there too. You know, we're not here to go that path here today, but just be in, but we all live in the real world, and you're kind of listening for, "Well, what's the reason behind that question?" Too, even as you you, you keep it higher level. What I love about these, though, is these are truly conversational, right? I know there are certain meetings where you go in and you've got a slide deck and you're just pitching something and you're just clicking through PowerPoint slides. And when we started talking through these different questions that come up, this is truly conversational, right? There's no slide deck that necessarily goes along with it. These are just really interesting things to know and places that we emphasize when we're talking to folks you know, around what we do here at Pura relative to ransomware mitigation. And these are real questions, right? It's not like we're just making these things up on the fly. You know, you, you actually do have the experience of having sat in the chair and having a number of conversations to know these are four or five things that once we've gotten through that foundation, they tend to come up over and over again. And that's why we're happy to share them with everybody today. And I think in classic clickbait style, we're supposed to say top five questions that you are most right. likely to, I don't know, but top five something. Oh, well. Top five, yes. <laughs> top five questions. And we'll be counting them down because nobody likes a countdown that counts up, right? So it's not through a one through five. We will, we will start at number five and then kind of drill down from there. But let's go to number five. And this is a, a really interesting one. We've mentioned it already, right? Safe modes, safe mode snapshots, special sauce, however you want to call it. But we've talked about what they are. We've talked about what they do. 
And then the question comes from the interested customer prospect is, well, okay, how do I actually get those, right? And the, how do I get those special safe mode snapshots, please? Please, sir. Please, sir. I have <laughs> yeah. another. Please, sir. That's <laughs> all the line I was going to say. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about that one is that I always try and make sure, especially unless you would just take that specific verbiage. If someone asks me, how do I get the special safe mode snapshots? What I want to make sure is if they understand that safe mode is something that protects data from malicious deletion on a pure array, whether it's a snapshot, it's a volume, it's a protection group. And so sometimes the answer to that question is almost a little bit of answering a question with a question. You try not to be annoying, but it's like, you know, you end up wandering through, okay, snapshots on pure or any data on pure is a two-step deletion process. You eradicate, it sits around for 24 hours by default, and then you destroy or the array automatically ages it out. It's a little bit different if you change the policy on snapshots that are auto-created. But when you look at safe mode, Safe mode protects any data deletion method on a pure array. And we have various ways that we do that. In some cases, protecting the eradication bin and timers and other stuff. I'm leaving out some of the details there. I'm especially leaving out the details that we don't talk about in case we have a friendly neighborhood attacker listening in. That's right. The That's core right. there is that there is no such thing as a safe mode snapshot. There's snapshots, volumes, protection groups. Safe mode protects any data deletion avenue on a pure array, especially that might be malicious. And that's where then even sometimes we get into you know a lot of core snapshot discussions like you know snapshots on pure not being are being point are pointer based instead of copy on first write and so a lot of times it ends up being more about the core pure snapshot architectural differences which we've walked through at various times on actually unplugged and we'll keep going down those down that path mm -hmm. and as well then of course the the piece there is that we don't charge for safe mode that's a free feature as with other things on a pure right thanks to Evergreen. Um, and then, but of course there is some space impact and safe mode mainly has a space impact um, as things stay around longer from being automatically moved from the array. So if snapshots take space, deduplicated, compressed, safe mode is really the, the stuff in the recycle bin stays around longer. And that's about volume or velocity of deletion. But the, sometimes the core answer to that question is almost nicely uh, denying the premise that there aren't special safe mode snapshots. There are snapshots and they're safe mode and they're both special and they're separate things. And let's make sure we understand those. Mm -hmm. Well, and what I love about what we do here at Pure is we enable some exposure to those things, right? We have the, the CSC, the Customer Solutions Center, and there is a way, right, via this thing that we call Test Drive, where you can actually work through your SE and to get access and to just check those things out. Is that something that you've you've done with some folks there, or do you facilitate it through an SE? What does that look like? Yeah, so you're, you're spot on. There's a, there's a great CSC team that maintains the test drive environment. It's kind of like a virtual lab environment. I've used that at other, other companies, but we've done a really good job with sure. it with it here uh, and really appreciate the work. So I, I actually, on a regular basis, there's, I don't want to say it's 10 or 12 labs in there right now. You can fire up on the fly in a couple minutes. Uh, one is a flash array with safe mode. One is a flash blade with safe mode. And that's where I even pull it up personally sometimes just to make sure that I've got the uh, and it's not that I want to be annoying when I'm talking with folks, but I want to make sure that I have the exact right terms. And even like the screen says this. And if I say that, I better have it right what the screen says, like eradication is disabled, you know, when you go and click certain things. Um, I've even done use that at times, even in webinars. 
uh, to actually go and do a, a really quick, like pretend that I'm an attacker and I got in and in five minutes, I'm like, okay, let me, well, can I delete this volume? Can I delete a snapshot? What does it look like? You can literally do that on the fly with, uh, with not much prep more than a minute or two. So talk to your pure SE. They have access there. They can uh, issue vouchers so that, you know, they can give free kind of free form access where you can get in and play around. And then it's, you know, a time loaded thing because it's a virtual environment. We got to reclaim the resources periodically kind of thing. But yes, it's not just a, uh, it's not just a trust us on slides. You can actually do some show and tell. But the interesting thing is due to how the core simplicity of safe mode and snapshots, the show and tell is actually usually pretty fast or it can pretty be. Straightforward. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that one. It, it's pretty straightforward, but they get to see it. It's there. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's real. Mm -hmm. Right. It helps mm -hmm. when you can pull back the curtain and, and see what the wizard is actually doing uh, back there. Okay. So we hit five. Thank you for those details. Let's roll on to number four and we get on to the very interesting question that we hear all the time around retention and retention time and how far back do we need to keep snapshots. And notice I'm not talking about backups here and we've covered that on other episodes, but we can mm -hmm. go down the backup versus snaps type of thing. But Andrew, when we get asked this, is this a weeks thing or a months thing. I know we've hit the, I know we've hit the four day thing before, mm -hmm. right? I know that's kind of the best practice recommendation that, that Sean Rosemary and I covered and that you and I have before, but it all gets down to affordability too, right? All those snaps and, you know, that data takes up space, right? So however long you stretch it out, there are implications to cost and the amount of density that you need to have. So how do you approach that one when you get asked that? So where I usually start is, so frame the question, how far back do I need to restore or have that, you know, weeks or months, et cetera. And, and maybe even a subtext in that question, someone is like, I don't know if I can afford that on pure or, or any flash, just, just mm -hmm. being real, you know? So where I focus in there first is what is the scenario here? If the scenario is ransomware, which is context here, make sure to put that back out there. A ransomware recovery scenario is a lot of your environment, most likely, you know, so this is, you know, 30 or 50 or 70%. It's not bring back a machine or two kind of thing, as well as... It actually goes to the idea of once we start to say it's a lot of the environment, you know, and restore in mass. If I go, if he, let's just even take ransomware out of the picture. So when I was a backup admin, if I'd went to my uh, manager or to the CIO, et cetera, and said, hey, we have this big problem and we need to roll the entire environment back three months. The systems of record, in this case, it was a university, like in the student records and billing, just be like, we go out of business if we if we yeah. do that, right? So the, the distinction here ends up being taking the idea, now I'm going to borrow a little bit from when you mentioned anatomy and attack before, um, there is the point of infiltration. It's where an attacker gets in and they're looking around inside the environment for weeks or months. We can't necessarily restore the whole environment back before that point because at a theoretical architecture level, how can we know how far back that would be even, especially if we're planning this out ahead of time? So it becomes that once they kick off the encryption, so point of infiltration, weeks or months back, is then they, when they start the encryption, the point of encryption, that's what we focus on. And we want to make sure that from the time that we detect the encryption phase of the attack, that we can roll back to, in a perfect world, T minus one second before that point, really fast for a huge amount of the environment. So that's where often it's, sometimes it's the four days. The other ones that I've heard is either five days or eight days or maybe 14 days. Five days is a long holiday weekend. Eight days is one week. Now, the tier one stuff, we're going to know really fast when it's down because like our phone's ringing, even if we don't have alerting and monitoring kind of thing. Uh, the tier two and tier three stuff, we might know not know about that right away. That might be in the five or eight days, but we're going to want to recover to the most recent point a couple hours ago, possibly right before the point of encryption. 
And that's what we focus around, whether it's snapshots of primary data on FlashRay or FlashBlade, or it's snapshots protecting backup data. Now, that's often FlashBlade. It can be FlashRay, too. And then, of course, some of the safe mode policies, too. So the where I've seen sometimes a little bit of confusion, sometimes even, uh, I think, unintentionally spread by, by some of the backup providers out there, is that you may need want to have your data going back weeks or months. But you're not going to be able to afford to store all of that on a really fast to restore in mass recovery mechanism. So that's where we focus on usually the most recent couple of days, because that's where you need that speed of restore. So special, and, and I just thought of this on the fly, which I'm, you know, it's part of my job. I wouldn't be doing my job as a host <laughs> if I didn't do this. Another but, 10 bucks. There we so go. Yeah, $10 more. Send it over. <laughs> I take Venmo. Uh, does there need to be a distinction between production and non-prod data, right? So, you know, as database mm -hmm. guy, we get into the prod mm -hmm. data and then there's non-prod, you know, snaps for developers, things of that nature, tier two data that maybe is not as valuable. Do we care or would a customer care? Would a customer look for differing policies and retention depending on whether it's that primary, which you mentioned, or whether it's that secondary or non-prod? What, what's your take on that one? So if I can... I prefer to start simpler from a protection policy standpoint until I have good reasons not to. Okay. Right? And this is like human nature. We're hopefully lazy in good ways, but usually in this topic, we go past that simple, oh, like one tier protection pretty quickly. Because if we take, and I can see it in my head, hopefully maybe if folks listening can see it too, the classic RPO, RTO graph, you know, from the oh, yeah. time of the disaster or the ransomware encryption starting, RTO is looking forward. How long does it take to come back online? RPO looking backward. How much data have I lost essentially kind of thing. And then you impose the classic bell curve on top of that. The closer you get to zero or T minus one second, the, the higher that bell curve goes from the cost. The bell curve is representing cost on top of that. So this is where I usually end up pulling in and often kind of posing the question back to the customer who asks about what is your business impact analysis results and mm -hmm. say the disaster recovery space. Ransomware being a subset of disaster recovery and security, kind of overlapping Venn diagrams there, if you will. Certainly. But we can base off those same recovery tiers with sometimes the added item that we have to think about uh, almost maybe a tier zero of DNS and DHCP and Active Directory and MFA, the stuff that in a classic disaster recovery environment, we'd make sure to have be resilient and be online. But in a ransomware environment, they might try and stop you from logging into anything just to increase the level of freak out, I got to pay the ransom, you know, sense yeah. that you got going yes. on. The urgency, right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Thanks for letting me throw 4B in there. It wasn't really mm -hmm. on our show notes, but yeah. that just occurred to me as you were mentioning primary. And no, yeah, that's that's why podcasts are fun. We get to go off on these chags, right? Um, okay, cool. Anything, anything to close on for just as far as retention, right? I mean, it is yeah. very much, you've already mentioned your mileage may vary. What, what amount of pain are you willing to incur? What's the cost per minute per outage? Well, I mean, there's all different, different variables, but you did give some nice guidance around sort of a range or an estimate in, in days up to a couple of weeks, I think is, is yeah. what the summary is. The biggest key there is, and usually it, pr it clicks really fast because some of the stuff isn't hard. It's just that I've spent time thinking through it, right? I'm not here to put myself up as, you know, just uh, as all that, but just in a way you think about it enough. And so as soon as you say like, okay, could you actually restore your environment back like 50% of your environment back a week or two? It's like, of course we can't do that. Okay, well, we need to focus on getting before the point of encryption. That's going to be a relatively short time frame, And then we focus our architecture and the money that we spend around that instead of trying to do something that means that we can't afford it at all. And we just throw up our hands and say like, eh, I'm sorry, we can't do it. I hope it doesn't happen. So 
Right, right. Fair enough. Okay. All right. We've done five. We've done four. Let's mm-hmm. roll to three now. And this one, for me, when we were discussing it, gets a little bit stump the chumpy, as you said <laughs> earlier. I mean, it's a little bit challenging. I won't say confrontational, but it's it's the notion that somebody's looking at what they've already invested in. And the belief is they already restore fast. They have a solution that meets most or all of their needs, at least as far as restoration. And so then it is, well, what is really different here? What are you, what are you talking to me about? Why should I, why should I care about this? I think that's really it is the, the, why should I care? I'm already, I'm already pretty well suited. My solution is fine, sir. Uh, I restore very quickly. What else you got? So where I, where I usually go there is actually going back to – there are common themes here that weave through all of these, and folks mm-hmm. are probably figuring that out. The theme here, the common theme we're going to pull out is what is the scale of the restore in the sense of if John or Sally from accounting deletes a single file, that's one question of scale, or maybe a couple VMs, et cetera. But what if someone blows away in whatever method, say ransomware or otherwise, 50% of your environment? Mm-hmm. A lot of times what we find, and this is even with some really cool next-gen backup stuff that's out there that I'm going to leave leave nameless for right now, okay? Where even if it's disk-based, at that point, eventually you fall down to the speed of disk from a restore's point, restore perspective, and that's not inherently the fault of even the software on top of it. You can just only drive so much out of disk, especially if it's having to rehydrate all the data. And we look at a lot of systems historically, they were optimized around backup and backup windows. That's a world that I lived in for a long time. They weren't optimized, and why should they have been? around mass restore scenarios. So usually it's a little bit of a, a, a gentle challenge. Hopefully if hopefully you can pull off the gentle challenge of like, hey, it's awesome that you can restore fast. Does that mean a couple things? Or what if that was for half your environment? Where, where I even signs go a little further than now, and while we'll start to drop in some, some product names, is as you know, and hopefully listening know, we've partnered with Cohesity around our flash recover solution. And to me, that's actually validation. Cohesity does some amazing things from a live mount capabilities and being able to bring stuff back, et cetera. And they said in a mass restore scenario, it's worth partnering with Pure to build a flash recover product together. And the power of FlashBlade exposed directly through the Cohesity product. Does that mean that you can't do some amazing things with straight up Cohesity and their normal nodes? You absolutely can. But there's a different level of scale and speed here once you put the Pure capabilities underneath that. So I mean, that's even a, even if you don't, even if you're not a flash recover customer, I hope you look at it. That's even to me a little bit of kind of industry validation of like, there's, there's just different categories of performance here based on the scale of restore. Well, and your point about flash cover is interesting because that takes you much closer to the true meaning of the word solution, right? Mm-hmm. And I hesitate, I'm not going to use the word appliance because <laughs> an appliance is just something that has some buttons that you push and does it, but is a truly integrated you know, there was thought that went behind it. There was massive amounts of engineering. And of course we have other partners in the backup space where we do mm-hmm. similar. It's not quite to the level of these things are all the integration put and, and rolled in with that level of integration, but we do a lot of, you know, base integration work with, you know, with the Veeams and the Commvaults and some of the others that are out there too. So I think the, the best message coming out of that is we partner heavily with all these different backup software and, and we're, you know, we're agnostic. Like if that's what you choose to use, great. We want to make sure that you have the power of flash blade or flash array and the massive restore capability, right? The restore speeds that you need. But I think what you've said is what's different here is there's some things that we can do with integration and there's some things beyond that relative to scale and, and, and ransomware mitigation that go beyond just, well, I do a lot of backups and I think I have a really fast restore. 
The other thing is, is a, a fully anonymized story because it's a as a friend from a previous life. And you never want to run a friend. Right, right, right. Um, he was actually a director at a hospital, and they had a software solution, one that we partner with. Leaving the names out here, so you can see it on our partner logo list. And I asked him about some of the live mount capabilities. You know, that's where you could actually you know spin up a VM and kind of have it running off the backup data infrastructure, running through the backup software, and kind of have it spin up automatically, and then storage vMotion it back. And when we were chatting about it, just you know, really friendly because I was working for a company that offered stuff in this space at the time, but it was just a friend catch up. And he was like, yeah, we've got that feature. We spun it up. The performance was so bad that even though it was fundamentally there from a capability standpoint, it just wasn't usable kind of thing. And sometimes I think that's even the difference. Like we may have, depending on who I'm chatting with in the org chart, they may be looking at the checkbox capabilities, but there's, but even if the capability is there, the feature is there, if you don't have the underlying performance, it may not be usable at all. It may be usable on a small scale or it may be usable at a, at a mass restore scale. Which segues in really nicely to number two number. I feel like we should have like a voiceover doing the number <laughs> two, you know, kind of thing. I, I'll have to take some of those ten dollars that you're sending me and uh, and and go find a a real Good voiceover, voiceover talent. <laughs> Certainly not me. I'll I'll go get Mr. Rickson. Mr. Rickson should be. Mr. Rickson should have been doing voiceover for for these last ten or twenty years, uh, and maybe he still will. There's always a chance to do that with our uh, with our careers. Kevin Rickson, or I even think of Ralph Ronzio too, or maybe we oh, have, well, a, we could have a voiceover yes. duel between the two of them. We should just have them on and just have them say different things for the audience. Anyway, all right, I digress. <laughs> we're, we're off track here. Sorry, folks. Uh, number two. Okay, and you were just talking about features. So that's why I thought this was an interesting segue into somebody that is going to ask, how is this different than immutable snapshots, right? Because those exist, those are out there. That's, mm-hmm. that's a thing, immutable s- snapshots. And then is this an air gap? And I think before we go down that path, <laughs> you may want to define for everybody exactly so we know what your definition of an air gap is before we go into, you know, how, is this different than immutable snapshots? I think I'll, I'll take that in two pieces and start with sure. the relatively, not easier one, just more defined one. Okay, so... Uh, snapshots, immutable snapshots, and, and how is this different? So, I'm thinking of when I started with snapshots was was pointer based snapshots. I've been around for a while, even before that. Uh, if anyone wants to check the bingo card on the on the word time finder, I won't say what product that was. That was like copy on first write snapshots. Okay, so there's a lot of different snapshots architectures out there. Pointer based with low performance impact snapshots or no performance impact when you take them are not the most unique thing in the world. I'll, I'll argue once we go down the weeds, and this is, I think, a future Unplugged episode that how Pure does it is better, but not a fundamental core order of magnitude difference. As mm-hmm. well, immutable is a fancy word for read-only, right? So read-only, you can't modify. Even if you're an admin on the box, you can't modify what's in the snapshot. That is not also inherently unique to Pure. There's other platforms that have immutability in various ways. The key difference there is can something being immutable can't be modified is totally separate from can it be deleted? Uh-huh. And that's often the discussion that we get into. Either at the layer that the immutability is, could someone go in and delete that data protection thing, a snapshot, a backup, whatever else? Or is there a layer lower down if an attacker got access to with admin credentials where, yeah, it's immutable at this layer, but the lower layer down, they could go and merrily trash stuff or, or, or take previous points in time. So there's this key difference between immutability Sometimes I'll use the term resiliency. There's been other ones that have been floating around, but really could someone delete that or destroy or mess it up? That's a separate question from, from immutability. Where that, and actually I want to even pause before I go into air gap. 
Um, and make sure, is there anything else you want to add there, Rob, or, you know, good color commentary, please. Another 10 bucks. No, I, I think you hit it and it, it, it's sneaky the way that we phrase that question, right? Because you do get to immutable. I do appreciate that you defined it as a, a more complicated way to say read only, but then you do have to think about those other distinctions about deletion and other things that can happen right during during an attack that maybe you know maybe you're not ignorant but you go well i have immutable snapshots i'm good oh okay good well you know somebody just got in and and they just made them go away they go poof so you know how how much read only is there if it's not there anymore there's this no stuff more. i I used yeah. to do as a customer, as customer admin, data center engineer, I'd try and think about like, if I was actually trying to break stuff, how badly could I break things? Fortunately, I was never like doing it when I was like actually unhappy thinking about that. But yes. I was, yes. <laughs> it, it starts as like you're setting up a system and not having single points of failure kind of thing, you know, classic, you know, multiple power supplies. That's the most basic example. But then you start to think through like, if I actually was having a bad day, like not a bad day, I'm angry, bad day, but just I'm, it's an off day. Like how quickly, how badly could I screw stuff up and how would I recover from it kind of thing almost if you will and then it's a small jump there to wander into the malicious scenario for sure for sure no that, that's all that I, you know i pretty much just repeated what you said there and rephrased um but i am still curious on the air gap part so air gap is this almost magical word that has different definitions depending on who hears it but there's a lot of sense of like we need air gaps whatever they are we know we need them because they protect us in some ways so so this is where when i get that question if someone asks me you know, is this an air gap I, i'm always doing help me understand what you mean by air gap and yeah that's a little bit of that help me understand so i'm not being annoying but, but i mean it in this case like i want to know what like, you really, mean really i, I want to know like what do you mean right mm -hmm. So what it usually gets to is some level of if someone has admin level access to the systems in question, a way to protect against that final data deletion step, because either stuff, something is totally offline, such as tape, which is truly, you know, offline, immutable, et cetera. You can't modify it because yeah. um, usually these scenarios are someone uh, virtually inside your data center, not physically inside your data center is what we're protecting. against. physical access. You know, all bets are off still, you know, kind of mm -hmm. thing. Right. You take a sledgehammer in my data center. Hopefully not. Yep. Yep. But if we start to talk about it from a virtual standpoint, that's where when you look at a good number of the solutions in this space, what they actually usually say is something like calling a virtual air gap or an operational air gap. And it's some level of separation. And usually via what I'll call a network drawbridge, I want to give Andy Stone credit for this one. Maybe he borrowed it from somewhere else, but I heard it from him. So often it's the idea that you have a network drawbridge and the drawbridge goes down and the data flows across once a day or twice a day, the drawbridge goes up and it's on the other side. Now, the challenge there is if attackers are in an environment for weeks and months, they're going to see that data flow. They're going to jump across that drawbridge when it's down periodically, or at least at a theoretical architectural level that they can, right? Mm -hmm. We can't say there's no way they're going to discover that drawbridge when it goes down, you know, kind of thing. So I'm very careful about promising to any anyone that what we provide is an air gap. But once we get to that couple minutes of discussion, I will often refer to safe mode as being a permissions air gap. Because if you want to do the final delay, de deletion of data, that second step of the data deletion process on a pure system, you can't do it period, even if you're a local admin, right. you actually right. have to have support engaged. So that even that that permissions air gap, you know, the air gap of the permissions is you separate from support. And then there's even things there about, you know, how we have the authorized methods and multi-factor authentication to happen, have that. So often I'll go down the path of like, okay, what are we trying to accomplish with an air gap? Usually 
the alternative solutions have some high degree of complexity, professional services to set up, high operational overhead to maintain, serious cost due to duplication of infrastructure. And I'll say, well, let's look at what we're achieving with those and compare those objectives and outcomes to what we accomplished with immutable snapshots plus safe mode. And can we replicate that and have safe mode on multiple systems and even do a network drawbridge of our own? Absolutely. But I don't want to start there. I want to start with the, actually, this is now back to number three, I think. We want to start with a simpler method if we can and only add the extra layers as they achieve meaningful things for you. Not that we can't have a multi-tier level architecture, but we don't want to start there as the only option to give you better outcomes. Right. Well, and we're also now providing that as auto on, right? We just did unplugged and talked about you know, safe mode on by default, right? You can go off and, and turn it off if you want to, if it's not needed for a certain part of your system, but it is now, you know, auto on for you. So it's not saying we're pushing that air gap, you know, by default, but it's it's certainly something that we've seen as beneficial and no performance penalty. So why wouldn't we have it there? And furthermore, I'm loving your drawbridge reference because we accept and encourage any and all medieval references and <laughs> things around castles on uh, on this episode. I, I think my my seventh grade history report was around castles and was fortunate enough to go to the UK. My parents took me there and we went to Warwick, I think, and I took tons of pictures and I don't think it was that interesting, but um, yeah, castles are fun. Anyway, and castles are very relevant to the discussion that we're having today. Do you mind if I play the castle analogy out a little bit more? Do it. Do it. So, so this is now going a little bit even further, kind of uh, be behind the curtains a little bit. But if you like to read good um, good reports, whether this is you know Gartner or Forrester, et cetera, sometimes you'll look at product analysis and you'll see the idea put out of a competitive moat. Yes. That's the term that I thought of when you're saying castles, oh, yeah. et cetera. And oh, this yeah. isn't like competitive, like, you know, kind of thing. It's just like, how long will it take someone to bridge that competitive moat, that engineering development that you've done over time with good engineers and product management, et cetera. Okay. So in some ways, the competitive moat here for Pure is partly what we've done with safe mode, but it's the long-standing metadata and snapshot capabilities and two-step data deletion that we had that goes back 10 years. So the actual safe mode is this almost kind of elegantly simple thin layer on top of that where we very precisely added, added various controls. But the actual competitive moat, if you will, is stuff that we've got like a decade of engineering on. And that's part of why I'm saying this, obviously, with a, I'm getting my paycheck from Pure these days. What a surprise. But, you know, yeah. when I look at the underlying architectural stuff, there's a core architectural difference that enables safe mode that I don't see from other companies out there. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking for it, hopefully, at this point, but just the, like playing out the castles and the idea of competitive mode and what is, where does it really come from in this conversation for Pure? But that's yet again another great example. And you and JD are hitting this on Unplugged with the architectural decisions. There are so many great examples of the underlying DNA, things that go back a decade or a little bit longer than a decade that enable us to do wonderful things like safe mode, a layer on top of this, or evergreen capabilities or the data reduction. I mean, we, you know, and I don't even know if this is in one of the architectural decisions to be coming sometime soon. So that's a good plug for a future unplugged episode that you guys will do. But uh, it is always fun to, that is a common theme for everyone out there. If you're listening, the, the architectural decisions that were made a long time ago are things that enable us to innovate even further now and build upon those, but still maintain a competitive edge, which is a super, super cool, super cool thing about being here at Pure, which takes us to 
da -da -da -dum, the number one that was a really weak drum roll but uh that's all i've got on a on a monday afternoon for everybody here and it really makes sense as the last query or question is people want to perhaps invest, right? We've had this discussion and they've said, okay, this all sounds really good. You, you've answered some really interesting next level questions. We want to go invest, but what are the ways that I, perhaps the backup admin or the sysad or the DBA, how do I go to my management or my management's management and go and justify the investment, justify the cost of, of going and doing this? And that's a really common question. That's one that you know we're here to help with, but where do you come from on that one? I mean, if uh, this is where I think the underlying thing is uh, all about the money. If we want to go back to a very catchy uh, song, you can pull it up on YouTube after this and listen to it 500 times on repeat, you know? Um, you did your drum roll, so you know all about the money. Bum bum bada bum bum. That's I get five bucks for that, just like you. That was a five dollar drum roll from you. That's right. That's right. Um, but so, what will it cost? Or 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 sometimes even it's not even what it costs. Cause it's not even a quote thing. It's more of a how do I whatever it costs. Can you help me justify and explain this to my CFO, like someone in the org whose job it is to think in those terms, and I need to talk to them in that language, you know, kind of thing. So this is where we wander down often a relative risk and probability standpoint. So I was even. Uh, I, was, I was even thinking a little bit about, you know, I took LSTATs in college. That was one of the, I, I had decent grades in college. That was one of the classes that pushed me harder, partly because I think I had a, I uh, rolled my car down a hill accidentally because I didn't set a parking brake the morning before a key test. And my, uh, my professor still made me take the test. You know, he was a little bit of an old school, like, you're here, you're going to take the test, you know. So I'm getting some flashbacks on that. But when it comes to cost and statistics, there, there is a tool that we actually have here that sometimes we walk through. It's called Ransomware Risk and Restore Value Calculator. I want to give a shout out to Rahul Shah, who's actually I know on your extended team, Rob. And it's it's really a spreadsheet on steroids that helps walk through that relative risk in a way that I, we could even just like write on a whiteboard. You know, you think through, okay, how much data do I need to restore? What's the outage cost, you know, dollars per minute, dollars per hour, etc. How long is it going to take me to restore this with method A versus method B? Okay, and that's not too hard. And then we get into what's the chance that this will happen? And you know, some major categories. Of, of course, there could be, you know, what's the annual probability of that due to ransomware? That's what we're here to talk about today. So, you know, I think the default value for that one is one in every 10 years, which actually probably is a little conservative right now in today's sure. environment. But then even other stuff. What about the classic disaster recovery reasons like force majeure? I'm never sure if I'm saying majeure, right? Majeure, majeure. I think so. I think yeah. so. Yes. Close. Yeah, we'll uh, but French on to double check soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is my leftover college French deserting me. Twenty <laughs> years later, um, or even you know the annual probability of something happening due to a maintenance or administrative error. Like often when we do uh, have disaster recovery conversations, the number one cause of DR events is not either a true. Um, it's not a true disaster, tornado, hurricane, et cetera. Yeah. It's the fiber seeking backhoe driver or someone in your data center. Like, so, you know, the, I think the default in there is like, you know, one admin mistake every 33.3 years that could have major, you know, impact on a data center. Cause that was when I was an admin, that was me. I was a one every 33 years kind of mistake guy, or maybe not. Maybe a little I say hopefully not one every 33.3 days. Cause then you wouldn't have a problem, <laughs> yeah. right? Different scales. <laughs> Different scales. You start to put that in and yet even do the multiply of <clears throat> ransomware, administrative mistakes, uh, force majeure, disasters, and you can actually come up pretty quickly with numbers that map very well to a CFO saying, you know, we are spending this to avoid this relative risk. And it actually from a, and now we'll say TCO because we ought to say that somewhere in here, it becomes... To 
a very straightforward conversation in today's landscape to try and represent that up. And then we can throw in other stuff, of course, about um, that, you know, you don't have to do a full on air gap infrastructure. You can layer this on your existing stuff. You don't need dramatic operational changes. We can apply this to primary data, to backup data. That's replaying some of the stuff we talked about before. But there's various layers here that can fit. But in some ways, the the financial conversation I'm finding actually is almost one of the easier ones but when you're having it with people that are genuinely like but please help me with this i even want to maybe toss it back to you because i know roger boss on your team uh recently sponsored an esg study that had some great stuff about executive awareness there yes terrific uh study surveyed hundreds and hundreds of customers out there we got a great read through on that and great data i'm not going to give away a lot of it because <laughs> we'd love for people to go to purestorage.com slash ransomware or go to the data protection homepage and check that out. That will be a great one to read to get more information on. But we also have a, a ransomware survival kit, and which is almost like an assessment that you can click through and find out. Again, it's not to the level of detail that Andrew just provided here with the great, great Rahul Shah, who just is a TCO <laughs> whiz. And yes, now on my team, but uh, he is really able to craft a spreadsheet on steroids that is really, really useful into going into all these valuable details. So there are some great things to check out there, the ESG report, the ransomware survival kit or uh, ransomware assessment. And I think you even mentioned a couple other resources previously with, uh, with test drive. Like there's just a lot for people to follow up on in this space. There's a, a recent couple minute video where I was in full on announcer voice, you know, kind of thing. We had some fun, fun graphics. With it. I think we're going to toss that in the show notes. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. The, the other piece I think of there sometimes, and this is now trying to embrace the spirit behind the question potentially of, you know, if someone is saying truly, like, help, can you help me justify this to my CFO? Actually, a little bit of career coaching even. So I, I won't give away the, the ESG results either, but the number of CIOs for whom ransomware is literally their number one priority, not AIML, not digital transformation, not whatever other buzzwords real or not you like to put in there. It's a surprisingly high number. And it's crazy high for who it's in their top five. So if you're a customer looking at this space and you feel you like you have some good options, pure or otherwise, and you can sound those out and bring those up the org chart, that can actually be good for your personal career, your personal brand. You're aware of what's relevant to them. Never being pushy about it. You're bringing forth real solutions that are practical and can fit into existing environments. This is good stuff from a career standpoint too, potentially. Absolutely. Some personal development capabilities there and a way to just benefit the broader enterprise, whether you're large or small or commercial mm -hmm. or public sector, right? It is a, a great thing. Well, we made it from five to one. Really exciting. Hopefully conversational enough for everybody out there. And I love hearing your talk tracks. And it's worth mentioning a plug for some of the prior episodes in the Pure Report. I think we go all the way back to Geez, a couple few years ago when we were at Austin recording one of the first ransomware, mm -hmm. feels like not that long ago, but really when we look back, it was, and look, we're here three years later and we're even talking about ransomware more these days as it continues to just be a really big challenge and a, and a scourge out there. But uh, thanks for coming on and kind of letting me pull you in last minute because this was a fun one. As always, it's basically I'm, I'm, maybe maybe a year from now or less than that, we'll have a different top five questions. But what, what's interesting is this is where I keep expecting the top five questions to change and shift, but they keep still orbiting around the same stuff. And it seems like people are 
there's a lot of beating the drum about ransomware and as an industry we're slowly digging into really understanding kind of the next level stuff mm -hmm. so uh, hopefully i'll have some new ones but these have been interestingly consistent for a little while now which is why i had all these thoughts and stories no i love it and i actually love this format maybe we should get together and do one around cloud or something of that mm -hmm. nature right we could do a you know top five questions we get around what pure does in the cloud space for you top five things you didn't know that pure does that's kind of exactly, cloudy exactly well stay tuned maybe we'll do that soon out there listener andrew a pleasure as always thank you for coming on i always appreciate it uh, I, I appreciate the uh appreciate the back and forth and the random stories and then i try and throw in random stories and throw it back and um i think i'm up to i think it was three ten dollars and then five dollars for the drum roll sorry that's the half rate right so back you, so you, you owe me, me 25 you, you get the five back <laughs> drum roll or we'll just make jd pay it i think he's off goofing around he's off goofing around in san diego at legoland this week anyway right yeah. lucky guy mm -hmm. that was that was me a month ago so you know that's one of the All things right. that we uh that we share that's it. That's it. Well, thank you again, Andrew. And hey, Pure Report listeners out there, thanks for checking out this episode of the Pure Report. We love having you tune in and hope that you find it really interesting. Keep sending us that feedback. Send it to purereport at purestorage.com and we will keep the great guests like Andrew coming on to the program. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage. And Andrew Miller, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. <laughs>